0: Psalms chapter 1, and it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh. And in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruits in its season, in its season, and his leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like shaft, which the winds drive which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not rise in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord God, we just come today, Lord, to uh I ask that you prepare our hearts, Lord, that uh, we set aside things, Lord, that may be going to co- uh, coming across our minds, Lord, just distractions the things of this world, Lord, and that we're able to focus on you, Lord, and worship you uh, with, a, with a good heart, Lord, and, and a clear mind. And I pray, Lord, that the, the Holy Spirit uh, uh, just guide us as we go through um, our worship to you, Lord. I pray that the message and the worship and the fellowship, Lord, all glorifies you in truth. And only you are truth, Lord. There's no other truth, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, that you've given it to us. You've given us a love letter, Lord, your word, the Bible. And we just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we are a part of it. We are called the saints, Lord, because of you. And we are ambassadors and soldiers, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord. And we pray that you hold us accountable to those things. And we hold each other accountable. We thank you, Lord. And we thank you for this day. We pray in your name. Amen.
1: Father, we thank you for truths that are not only spoken and prayed, but those that are sung as we've just sang out these praises to you. I ask that you would just help us in our understanding of the things that we sung and that wouldn't be just for uh, rote memorization or catchy tune, that we really are speaking your truth. And I pray, God, that you would just cause our hearts to be open to understanding, that you would increase our knowledge through your spoken word today that you would help us um, to receive your word in sincerity and that we would stand firm upon it and we would just um, use it to calibrate our lives, God, to you and to your standard and we thank you that you have given us forgiveness through your son, Jesus Christ, and that we can come to you in his righteousness and that we are clothed in him and that we can stand before you as accepted and called your children. I ask that that would be true for every one of us here, but also that if there is one here that, or many that don't know you, God, that you would just cause your gospel truth to resonate in their hearts today, that you would draw them unto you in a saving way. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for being here this morning. It is good to see you all. I know some of you are a little weary, having uh, been at a wedding last night, and we got to enjoy seeing. Jesus and Merrily come together before God and before others and uh, get married. And it was a wonderful time of uh, celebration, but also the gospel message was shared in in the marriage vows. And so we always appreciate when that is done. It uh, was just a a beautiful thing uh, to be part of. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians? Philippians chapter 1. Verses 1 through 12. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 21 is the passage we'll be reading this morning. Philippians 1, verses 12 through 21. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance." As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, Let's go to the Lord once more in prayer and ask Ray, would you do that for us? Amen. Well, we're going to be confining our study more to the first three verses of what I just read, but I wanted to go all the way through the end of the chapter, uh into verse, or sorry, the end of verse 21 for this section, just to put some context around it. But I want you to know that our focus verses are going to be more through uh, 12 through verses 14. So I'm going to read those again, and then we're going to be in, begin unpacking this together. propellant if you will you know when we go to start a fire we might you know put uh, some lighter fluid on our charcoal especially we're getting ready to celebrate the fourth of july and we use that to try to get the fire going and there is a a positional kind of propellant that paul is, is talking about here for the sharing of the true gospel and We understand, of course, the Holy Spirit is the one inspiring, the one empowering and enabling Paul and Christians, all Christians, to share the gospel in boldness and to share the gospel without fear. But we're looking at this positionally. Where is Paul? And we can ask ourselves, is Paul in a position, in a space where he's prosperous in a worldly sense? Is that the positional propellant uh, that he finds himself in, the, why he's able to share the gospel. And we see that that's not true over the last several Sundays. If we've been more into the introduction of the book of Philippians, we do not see Paul prospering in a financial way we don't see him with a, a lot of chariots or a lot of a people under his, his command, necessarily like soldiers, people that can come deliver him from this place where he is, which is in a Roman prison. He's under house arrest. We don't also see him enjoying uh, relational peace with everyone his sharing of the gospel has met with much opposition, particularly the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, those that comprise the Sanhedrin council. In a sense, that's one of the reasons that he is here, because he has made his appeal to Caesar, and now he's under this Roman guard, and it's because uh, he didn't have relational peace with a lot of those out there. Many have come against Paul, even those who he thought were sincere in their beliefs. He writes of those who have since abandoned him. Uh, so we don't see that the propellant is his relational peace with everyone. And we also don't see that it is a social or political standing. See, Paul doesn't hold some high office. He's not a mayor. He's not a governor. He's not someone with a lot of political sway. Uh, so we see that positional propellant is not in any of these things that we might consider in a worldly sense as being something that is is good, uh, something that should give us a lot of a lot of motivation that should give us a lot of courage, but rather what we see in Paul's situation is that he has been enduring much hardship. Um, He's going through struggles. He's suffering, but in this he finds it joy. He finds joy in this because all of this is for the sake of the gospel. All of this is for the cause of Christ. And who are we to question the circumstances or the methods that God will use in his sovereignty to advance the gospel? Paul did not question his circumstances that God had brought him to. No, he was faithful to serve God and bring the gospel wherever God's sovereign will had placed him. Even if it was to be in prison, even if it was in chains, And the reason for Paul's imprisonment is actually because he would not stop sharing Christ. Paul had a passion for the gospel. And as believers, as those who possess the Holy Spirit residing within us, we should have a passion for the gospel, a true and sincere passion, a boldness to share the gospel regardless of circumstance. Now, many uprisings, during paul 's time in biblical times had had come and gone, there were many had actually come before Jesus claiming to be a messiah, and there was many that were saying that you know, they were motivated by the gospel they were they were sh- going to share Christ, and you have these that have um, made these political uprisings trying to defeat Rome and try to clear them out out of Jerusalem. And so there had been many people that had come to try to overtake and overthrow Rome, but this just was not going to happen. But something was different about this news, this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ. It wasn't going away. And Gamaliel was a Pharisee who taught Paul, in fact, and he spoke something that was very prophetic that at the time may not have been seen as prophetic. But this is what he writes of the early movement, the uprising of the early church. And we see that now just playing out even in Paul's life. And you turn to Acts chapter 5, verses 33 through 42. Gamaliel is sharing his wisdom with those of the Sanhedrin, The disciples, the apostles of Christ had come in and begun to share the good news of Christ, sharing the gospel. It was going out, it was changing hearts, and they're trying to snuff out the gospel, if you will. And here's what Gamaliel would say of the things that are going on in Acts 5, beginning in verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So this was a reaction of the Sanhedrin, of, of the religious Jews. This was their reaction to the gospel. And then in verse 34, But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Phoidus You will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, and every day in the temple and from from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that The Christ is Jesus. So this is something that Gamaliel told those of the council. What would happen if this thing were not of God, if this movement were not of God, that it would come to nothing. It would be just like these others who had uprisings, who led these revolts, and yet they came to nothing. You don't hear about them anymore. But if this plan or this undertaking is of man, he said it will will fail, but if it is of God, you will not be able to to overthrow them. And here we are today speaking of the gospel, reading God's word because we see that this could not be snuffed out by man's efforts. This is of God, and we should be passionate about it. Before this is long before Paul really came on the scene in the book of Acts. And when he first comes on the scene, we realize he's one of the ones that's persecuting the those that are sharing the gospel of Christ. He's the chief persecutor, he's going out, he's apprehending all these Christians, he's imprisoning them, he's even having them put to death. But we see the power of the gospel has transformed Saul, who he once was, to now Paul, who is now in prison in Rome for the cause of the gospel. This is a power that has been redirected into a passion. His life was never the same after the gospel. And until you experience the gospel's power, you will never have a gospel passion. Until you experience the gospel's power, you will never have a gospel passion. Paul will say that the first thing of importance for him was the gospel as he's writing to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, some of you already know where I'm going with this, he says there, I deliver to you as of first importance What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. When Paul went anywhere, the thing that was of first importance, regardless of circumstance or what opposition he may expect to encounter, he was going to give them the gospel. And as long as he was living, he was going to proclaim Christ there in verse 21, what does he say? For me to live is Christ. To him to live is to share Christ, sharing the gospel and then to die as gain. That he would step into eternity and be with his Lord and Savior, whether the Lord has him here working and serving and sharing the gospel or for him to go on to eternity to be with his Lord, for him to live as Christ, for us to live as Christ and to die is gain. But passion Passion for the gospel will encounter conflict. It will encounter opposition, those who oppose the message of Christ. It is warfare that we are engaged in. If we are passionate about the gospel and we are sharing it with others, we are going to find those that will reject the message of Christ. And some, some will reject it vehemently. They will reject it with violence and not just words. Paul describes in his letter to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 6.12, he says, "...for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." those that are are motivating the evil that's behind the violence and the false accusations against Paul, against his imprisonment, are moved along by these spiritual forces of evil. There is a battle that is being waged, and as you share the gospel passionately and boldly, you are in the thick of this battle. And that passion for the gospel will not be met by the enemy with a softness. He does not put on kids' gloves to deal with this. He's been doing this a long time. He's very strategic in his ways to try to not have the gospel go out to everyone. All the mockery, all the false accusations, all the beatings, all the the stonings of Paul being put to death come under the banner of what he says here in verse 12. He says, that what has happened to me. We shouldn't think that those things are just really good physical uh, things that prosper Paul, that he is getting... um, You know, these these spa treatments, wherever he is, he's not driving around in a Bentley, he's not uh, enjoying $15,000 hotel rooms. The passion of the gospel has brought him into these things that have happened to him, and they are not pleasant, they are sufferings for Christ. What has brought Paul to this jail where he's writing this from? It all takes place, really, from Acts chapter 22 on through to the end of the book, and it's really hard to summarize that much of Scripture, but I would encourage you to go and read that. It shouldn't take too long, but not right now, but just when you get back home. Go back to Acts chapter 22. You can see what led Paul really to this point. He had gone back to Jerusalem after having gone out on his uh, three missionary journeys. He was wanting to be in Jerusalem. He was wanting to preach the gospel to the religious Jews. He was wanting to see his... His former brothers, his former Pharisees, come uh, to the saving knowledge of who Christ was. He had a passion to share the gospel to them, um, regardless really of what happened to him. So he goes and he begins sharing the gospel, and then a mob comes against him. They want to put him to death, and Paul then plays his Roman citizenship card. And they, they can't not just beat him and flog him and put him to death right there. They have to get him walk him through the fair trial process. Of course, this is God in, in his sovereignty, you know, orchestrating these events. But he goes back to Jerusalem, mob uh, tries to kill him. He claims his Roman citizenship, and then he's eventually led to an appearing before a governor. His name is Felix. Um, There he appears before the governor, he preaches the gospel, even in chains, he comes before Festus, uh, another leader of the Roman Empire, and then before Herod Agrippa, and then it is there before Agrippa that Paul then appeals his case to Caesar, because the Jews, the religious Jews, were constantly behind Paul, trying to apprehend him to put him to death to try to keep the gospel message from going into all the region. In Acts chapter 26, go ahead and turn there with me. Acts chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. Paul is appearing before Herod, Herod Agrippa. And this is how passionate Paul is. In sharing the gospel, you would think if he were making an appeal and trying to save his life, that he might soften the message at least or at least say things that the, the king or, or anyone would want to hear, but rather he boldly shares with him the good news of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 26 of 26, For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains." Paul was going to share Jesus Christ with anyone and everyone. Whether his audience was those that would be bringing false accusations against him, who would be maybe seeking to imprison him or put him to death, he was going to be bold for Christ. If you rewind back, Paul had always always envisioned himself going to Rome, He would say in Acts 19.21, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see see Rome. And I wonder for Paul, or for any of us for that matter, if we had this crystal ball to gaze into our future, I'm going to Rome, but then see all these things that were to lie ahead for them, say, Okay, I'm not signing up for that. I'm going somewhere else. I'm going back to a spa or something like that. But no, Paul did not have the crystal ball into the future, but he trusted God that whatever would happen would eventually bring him there. And we see it is not pleasant things that are happening to Paul. He didn't arrive in Rome on a luxury cruise liner or, or fly in on a fancy jet. In fact, his, his ship to get to Rome shipwrecked along the way. Now I think... About how uh, I struggle in circumstances sometimes. You know, think of maybe the job that I'm in. Sometimes we feel chained to responsibilities. You know, some of us may feel even chained to, to relationships. Um, there, there's a number of different things that we could feel like we're under the weight of it. And we like to. You know we have this dream idea of what things are supposed to be like. It's like if we know of this architect who's you know famous he's world renowned and he can design like all these places, these great mansions or houses and we we go to him and we say hey i've I've got this dream house would would you design it? Would you build it for me And so the architect goes back and he begins to draw out this plan for a building and he brings it to you and he's like this is not what I had in mind. You know, I don't, I don't like this, this blueprint. This is what I had in mind. But yet you go to them thinking that they're going to come up with this idea. You just want them to sanction your blueprint that you already have in your mind. You know, it's like us going to God and say, God, you know, I've, I've come to, to faith in Jesus Christ. I know that you've saved me. I am ready to be used by you. And then in the back of your mind, but here's my plan and how I want you to do it but he's the one, his sovereignty. He knows what he has ahead for you. He has sometimes obstacles. He has difficult relationships. He has difficult circumstances and jobs for us, and even some might find themselves, you know, in in prison or incarcerated. We don't know for us as Christians what is coming for us Um, soon, you know, I fear. But we see that Paul is able to move from that passion that he has from the gospel and the encounter of problems along the way, but then to have this perspective. And this is still in verse 12. Come back there with me. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. In some translations, I think is for the furtherance of the gospel. This is the reason that Paul can take joy, because he knows that every reason, every little moment that has happened along the way up to this point has been by God. That God has orchestrated this for the advancement, for the furtherance of the gospel. And the Greek word there for advancement is prakope, prakope, And it means to advance or to make progress, but it is often used to describe a motion forward, but not along a smooth path, not along a very wide open path, but along a path that is in the midst of obstacles. We can expect that the gospel is going to be encountered with obstacles. It's used to describe a ship that is sailing into a, a strong headwind, this furtherance, this pracape. Roman guards, lying Pharisees, would not stand in the way of Paul. This were, these were his obstacles. In verse 13, so that it has become known, so this furtherance, this advancement, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul wants them to know that all that has happened to him, that none of this has stopped the advance of the gospel. In fact, it has cleared the way, in a sense. Where do we see that? Well, in verse 13, it's been furthered for the Roman soldiers to the whole palace guard is what Paul says there. Now, the the guards that, he are under, that he's under are part of the praetorium guard. And the praetorium guard were considered the elite personal soldiers of the emperor, and they were some 10,000 strong. And Paul is chained to a guard in a rented house, and that's his life, that's his existence. 24-7, Paul is with someone, he's chained to a Roman guard. And these guards, you look at historical writing, so understand it as that and not necessarily scripture, but the praetorium guard, if someone was assigned to them as a prisoner, they had to do six-hour shifts. So Paul had a Roman guard with him uh, six hours a day and then another different Roman guard for another six hours and then that would switch out and there's another person to him, chained to him for another six hours. And it, it's almost kind of humorous in thinking about this because we know how Paul was with the gospel. Whoever was going to be with him was his audience. You know, his pulpit was right there with, with a Roman soldier. So I don't think that Paul was chained to the soldier, but rather the, the soldier was chained to Paul. Paul had a captive audience, and it's not just the, the palace guard, the Roman soldiers, it's also all the rest, because it says he was, the gospel is advancing so they become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ, because house arrest meant that there were certain freedoms for the prisoner. They could have guests coming in to them. That people could come, they could visit him there. Some of these were probably Jewish leaders, you know, those who knew Paul well, others, you know, Christians, but just people that could come in and visit Paul and have fellowship with him. In Acts 28, 30 through 31, Luke says, "...for two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance." Scripture tells us exactly what Paul was doing, taking advantage of the situation that he was presented, this confinement. One commentator said Paul's confinement was God's assignment. And I think that's true for every one of us. These, These letters that were written from this confinement, Paul was using his time for the glory of God. We're reading Philippians, which was written in this time, but this isn't the only book that was written in the two years that Paul had. He wrote Colossians While he was imprisoned here, he wrote Ephesians and he wrote Philemon. We went through Colossians, we went through Philemon, we're going through Philippians now. Maybe this uh, means our next book needs to be (laughs) Ephesians, I don't know. (laughs) But these books were written during that time. Paul was not lamenting in his circumstance and saying, woe is me that I've been placed in this situation, why is God doing this to me? No, he's God has brought me here for a reason and I'm going to take advantage of every moment that I have. He's having Bible studies at the expense of the Roman government, which is also kind of interesting to think about. So the next time that, you know, we're tempted to say, well, I'm stuck in this job, I'm stuck in this relationship imprisoned by this person, you could see it as an opportunity. And that is if your passion is the gospel. It furthered God's plan. You know, in verse 14, we see that there may have been some reluctance as others observed Paul's situation. You know, those that had seen him and Silas for the first time when they entered into Philippi and they were taken into custody because of their sharing of the gospel, they were put into chains they may have been expecting that Paul was going to be miraculously delivered again. How come God doesn't do this again for him? And maybe there was a little bit of reluctance in thinking, oh, you know, we don't want that to happen to us. But verse 14, it says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the fact that they, they have become confident now suggests that maybe the Christians in Rome might have been a little timid at first. But then they see how the gospel is advancing through Paul's circumstance. And what it did in watching Paul be so bold in the situation that he found himself in, they started to change their thoughts about their boldness in sharing the gospel. Now these citizens actually can go out having maybe participated in a Bible study with Paul and having been transformed by the gospel, now they're going out into places where Paul couldn't go because of his imprisonment, and the gospel is even being further advanced through the entire city of Rome. Other Christians are not being deterred by Paul's imprisonment or sufferings. You know, they may have been thinking, you know, if that happens to me, bring it on. It was empowering. It was having the opposite effect. Not only did they get, not get discouraged, it was empowering and it was emboldening them. And rather than focusing on circumstance that Paul was in, they were looking at his passion and how we view the circumstances around us will direct our passion. You look at incarceration and think, well, I don't want that. And passion and power in spite of the circumstances is quite encouraging you know, I am always encouraged and I feel motivated when I read of of Paul and the way he approached these places where he was, these spaces that he found himself in. I think, do I feel chained to something? If you talked to me on Friday of last week, you would think, well, Owen's kind of chained to his career. <laughs> Some of us may feel like we're chained to a school trying to complete a degree program. Uh, maybe feel like we're chained to a particular relationship, maybe a bad one. We, we see it as a place of confinement or we see it as a place of adversity and we allow that, that confinement, that squeezing in around us or that adversity we experience to, to cause us to shrink back. But look for it and look to it as an opportunity. Some of the greatest God-inspired works came from these spaces of confinement. Hymn writers who have left us with some of the, the greatest hymns were written from sick beds. Were written um, being blind. You know, Fanny J. Crosby was one of those. I don't know if anybody has ever um, heard Joni Tadas' uh, testimony. Uh, it is quite inspiring. She's paralyzed at the age of 17 in a diving accident, and she has an amazing testimony in life lived to the glory of God through though being confined in a wheelchair. She's able to paint with her mouth and paint these beautiful pictures, but God used this in her life to glorify him. Uh, look back at, at Martin Luther, the leader of the Reformation. He translated the Bible while he was in jail. John Bunyan, the writer of The Pilgrim's Progress, uh, many of you probably read that book. Uh, I, would, I would highly recommend it. It's not scripture, but it's, it's a really inspiring book. But it said there that in jail, he shouted so loud, he proclaimed the gospel from his jail cell that people would gather outside the walls of the jail just to listen to him. And so they put him in a dungeon further away where the people couldn't hear him. And it was there that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Millions have been inspired by that book. And circumstances may restrict us, but view them as an opportunity for the furtherance of the gospel. Find joy in where God has placed you. It worked for Paul. Paul had it far worse than I've ever had. And there is always a way, as long as the gospel is your passion, as long as Christ is your passion. But we need to first be freed from our spiritual prisons before we can understand this passion. If you are chained to your sin, understand that you can be set free in Christ. We're going to be, (laughs) our pilgrim's progress. (laughs) We're going to be hearing a lot, you know, about freedoms this weekend. Many of you are probably going to be gathering with family and doing different things to celebrate the freedom that we uh, have in this nation. And our liberties are something, I agree, they're, they're to be valued, but they're never to be held above. The gospel. Many of us in, enjoy this, but do we really understand what it is to be free, to be free indeed? As John would write in 836, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The writing here of that yoke of thinking that we could somehow earn our salvation that we could somehow work our way into, uh, into heaven or a nearness to God. That's submitting to a yoke of slavery. We cannot be saved of our own works. You must first be free to the bonds of your sin before you really can experience that freedom in Christ. Before you can understand a passion that is redirected for the gospel, the gospel must set you free. What is the gospel? We say it a lot here. We talk about it being the good news of Jesus Christ. It was a word, evangelion that was used, you know, even before we have what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It was just to declare good news. It'd be used by someone maybe even at a newspaper stand to say, hey, extra, extra, read all about it. This is good news, you want to hear it. But this is the good news that we as Christians possess that we have that has changed our lives. It's a good news that goes beyond hearing. It's a good news that is a knowing a personal relationship with god through jesus christ we must realize first that christ died for our sins as paul said as of first importance i delivered to you that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised and our sins deserve death but christ endured it for us he took our place but we must first confess that we are sinners A lot of us don't like to be confronted by things. But realizing that we are a sinner means that we are confronted by God and his holy standard and come to the acknowledgement that yes, I have sinned before you. We must come to God in agreement about our sin. Yes, I am a sinner, God. What do I do do to to be free of this? What do I do to be forgiven? He's already made that provision for us through sending Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ completing that provision that substitutionary atonement on the cross of Calvary, recognizing that he has made a way through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. And it is to confess our sin before him. Acknowledge it. Say, yes, God, I am a sinner. Agree with him about your sin. Ask for his mercy. Trust in Christ's saving work on the cross to redeem you. Receive this new life in Christ, a life that is freed up for serving him, Christ did not stay in that grave. Christ rose again three days later. And it is by his resurrection that we have God's justification. We are justified in Christ because he counted Christ's sacrifice, the only sacrifice worthy, the only sacrifice that could cover the multitude of sins that you and I commit day after day. And he will grant you new life in him, a life that is freed up, for serving him. You are no longer a slave to your sin, but you are a slave to Christ, bought by his redeeming blood with the inheritance of the promise of eternity with him in heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you and we just thank you that you have made a way for us to have peace with you, to have a freedom from the chains of sin that we are encumbered by God, many of us can look back and know what we were apart from you. And there may be some that are still living under those chains that have not been set free in Christ. And I pray that the gospel would just resonate, this good news of Christ having come to be our Redeemer and Lord, to be fully God, be fully man, to live a perfect life, to overcome sin, to take the wrath that we deserved upon himself to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. I pray, Lord, that for anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would put their full and complete trust in what Christ has done to redeem us, to set us free. That they would repent of their sin, that you would give them your Holy Spirit to regenerate them, to, re- to make them new, to give them a new life in you, a life that is lived in obedience and love to you, God, in serving you. And thank you for that promise that you give us, that one day when we leave here, we can see what it is to have that gain that Paul speaks of when he he dies, to live as Christ but to die as gain. God, may we find our hope in you and may we live out this gospel in every situation we find ourselves in that we not look to special events or special evangelistic uh, endeavors, God, that are have to be on a calendar before we go out and share the gospel, but God, that wherever we find ourselves, if it's confinement, if it's freedoms, that we are bold to share the gospel because you have changed us and you have ignited a passion within us for you. In Jesus' name, amen.